Coming up in this episode. Terrorist training camps. We'll take a look at two elements. From the U.S. perspective, how terrorists are using training camps. And they treat these young people as a disposable item. So that means that uh, they get them ready to do things like commit suicide through suicide bombing attacks with either vehicles or suicide vests. And we'll take a look at how the European Union is keeping an eye on those training camps. Coming up on this edition of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Target USA is brought to you by TrueCar. When you're looking to buy a car, you want to make sure you're getting real pricing on actual inventory. Unfortunately, a lot of times, this isn't the case. People configure cars online only later to find out they're not available. With TrueCar, you can get real pricing on actual inventory. This is not pricing offered by TrueCar, but pricing from an actual dealer. And not just any dealer, but a TrueCar certified dealer. This is a carefully curated network of dealers committed to transparency and offering you a competitive marketplace. Using TrueCar, you can easily find the car you want. Next, TrueCar will show you what other people in your area paid for the same car you're looking for. Now you know what a fair price is, so you can feel confident. More than 3 million cars have been sold to TrueCar users by the TrueCar Certified Dealer Network. There are more than 13,000 TrueCar Certified Dealers nationwide, and TrueCar users save an average of more than $3,000 off MSRP. So when you're ready to buy, visit TrueCar to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features are not available in all states. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. Authorities in Europe are painting a picture of a terror threat that's going to get worse before it gets better. Scotland Yard's top counterterrorism official said this week, 13 plots have been foiled in the U.K. in the past four years, and they have at least 500 investigations going on at any given time. Belgium continues its struggles with terrorist sympathizers embedded in parts of the country. And there is a widely held view that because of its geography, Europe may be in for a difficult terror fight for some time. Those are just a few of the serious terror problems Europe is facing, and by default, the U.S. is facing as well. First, let's put the problem into perspective. Colonel John Dorian is spokesman for Operation Inherit Resolve. That's the U.S.-led war against ISIS in Syria and in Iraq, and he paints a very bleak picture of what the training camps do. There are uh, training camps in, in some some areas. Um, you know, a lot of them have been found in Mosul um, as territory is liberated. So you find, you know, places with uh, big rows of bunk beds and a lot of training material that the enemy uses to indoctrinate fighters. 
And what they try to do is uh, intake uh, either foreign fighters or Iraqis or in Syrians. And, uh, you know, a lot of the time these are adolescent aged youths and bring them in and, you know, just tell them what they want them to know and give them a sense of belonging and give them a mission uh, and give them some feeling of excitement. And, and then they conduct this training. And they treat these young people as a disposable item. So that means that uh, they get them ready to do things like commit suicide through suicide bombing attacks with either vehicles or suicide vests. Um, I have unfortunately seen videos where they have very young children who are involved in killing some of the prisoners that they've taken. Uh, they indoctrinate young people into their way of thinking. And this is something that is a part of the indoctrination in a lot of these sites that they control. Because what they want to do is uh, demystify and, and desensitize their fighters uh, to barbaric killing and barbaric actions. And once they've done that, then you have a generational problem and you really have to uh, you know, kill that person in order to stop them from harming people around them. So the bottom line, death is not a deterrent for these these folks. Um, for many of them, it's not. There are there are some that are less committed. Uh, there are some that just sympathize, and you know that that's one of the difficulties in assessing uh, the number of fighters that they have their at their disposal. They have people that they've uh, cultivated from around the world who have come to Iraq and Syria to join this Islamic state that they have. Uh, you know, claim to have created, uh, but they've also recruited a lot of young, uh, impressionable Iraqis and Syrians, young young men mostly, and uh, these are people that, uh, you know, sometimes they have a, a tremendous amount of commitment to the fight. Some of them are less, and then they also just uh, intimidate some young people into joining. They make them join, uh, make them do things like stand at checkpoints and, and this sort of thing, um, or conduct attacks. And they do that with threats. Um, so when those types of fighters uh, have the opportunity to abandon the fight, in many cases they will, but um, there are a, a hardcore group within this organization that, uh, you know, they're going to stand and fight and die. That's what they're there to do. Mm. That's a very grim outlook, and you have to wonder how people get to that point in their thinking, in their mentality, that their only purpose in life is to die, to kill others. But that's just the way it is with terror groups, uh, and certainly a group like the Islamic State group. Keeping an eye on them is of great importance. And we spoke recently with Pascal Lagai, who is the head of the EU's Satellite Center, in Madrid about just how they go about doing that, keeping an eye on these training camps, among other elements, locations, and situations that have to do with European Union security. So the, the Satellite Center has uh, a mission defined... The Satellite Center as a mission defined by the 28 member states of the EU is designed to support the decision-making of the Union using mainly satellite data and in general, Earth observation satellite data imagery. But not only that, we also use collateral data, open sources, social media, cartographic data, 
digital data and more to provide situational awareness support to the EU. For the EU action. I was looking at your website and I noticed that you use a variety of different technologies uh, and a lot of it has to do with uh, the effort to make sure you're getting the best results. Uh, can you explain for us how the Satellite Center, the role that the Satellite Center might play from a counterterrorism perspective? The Satellite Center is a part the Satellite Center is part of a bigger process or bigger organization in terms of counterterrorism. We are monitoring terrorist activities, training camps, migrations influx, and also some trafficking activities. The goal is to get a sharp general picture of what's going on. Are you in a position to give us a sense of uh, what you might see um, this day and time, right now, in in this time frame, in terms of terrorist training camp activities, do you see a lot of that, or uh, is that um, small? How, how would you characterize what you see in relationship to terrorist activity? We use uh, mainly, uh, mainly commercial, commercial we data. We use mainly commercial data. We have regular access to the U.S. commercial satellites, for instance, Worldview 3, and data from the Digital Globe Company. It's an optical system with a 30-centimeter resolution. It's possible to follow activities and to study targets with the 30-centimeter image. We can follow training camp activities and damage assessments, as well as from terrorist installations. Without getting into anything classified or anything too sensitive, um, can you give us a sense of who, what organizations you see the most activity from in terms of terror groups? Is it Al-Qaeda? Is it Daesh? Or is it the Taliban? Um, give us a sense of what organizations you see more activity from in terms of movements, training camps, etc. An important point to make is that we don't decide the places we are monitoring or looking at. The decision comes from the authorized users of the satellite center. Sometimes it's Daesh or the Taliban. It's not a secret to say that, because all of the services from other countries are doing the same. You and the media know the countries where these terrorist groups are acting. Not only are we watching terrorists, but piracy activities is also an important issue for EU member states and along the Somalian coast, for instance. But coming back to the terrorist activities, you know very well the places where they are. We also provide some classified products depending on the content of the analysis performed by the satellite center. Um, and uh, you mentioned piracy, and I wanted to get into the piracy piece for a moment. Um, that, so give us a sense of um, how you might go about tracking, say, uh, a, a, a situation involving piracy. What, what do you do uh, to get some material or information? Is it the same as tracking someone on land, or how does it involve land and sea? Um, give us a sense of, if you're working on a piracy project, how, how you approach it. So, in fact, uh, the, the, the users uh, for the specific... The users specifically for the piracy activities are the people that are at sea, because we have some EU warships patrolling along the Somalian coast and offshore as well. And they orient the locations of interest, because we also have some people deployed in the field to give exact geographic locations of these activities. 
and we are focusing on the specific places given by these different users deployed in the field. The more difficult part of the job is to be present at the right moment and in the right place to make sure that we can follow the activity. And it's sometimes difficult because you need to get the relevant satellite data at the right moment. It's part of the business of the Satellite Center to have a real partnership with data providers and the commercial providers to have access to data in real time. Terrorist training camps thrive in ungoverned spaces. And no matter how much military there is or how much scrutiny is placed on them, they still continue to thrive. We talked about that with Robin Simcox, the Margaret Thatcher Fellow at the Davis Institute for National Security and Foreign Policy at the Heritage Foundation. Well, yeah, and I think there's a, there's a fantastic example that, that makes your point um, from Afghanistan. Uh, it was at the end of, towards the end of 2015, that Al-Qaeda's largest ever training camp in Afghanistan was discovered. It was one attached to Al-Qaeda in the Indian subcontinent. This is uh, over a decade, of course, after the US has gone into Afghanistan to defeat Al-Qaeda, expel the Taliban. The group still had the ability to regenerate, had the ability to recruit, and it had the ability to set up training camps all um, under the, the noses of of the U.S. and its allies, and obviously, you know, we, we are still at war in Afghanistan. So I thought this was a really concerning development. And if you think of countries like Syria and Yemen, where we have much less, uh, we have much less access, and we have much less knowledge about what's going on the ground there than we should do in somewhere like Afghanistan, where we have troops, then I think you get begin to get an idea of um, just how how severe the, the situation facing the West is, because there are inevitably going to be lots of people coming back, I think especially returning fighters, who just aren't on the radar at all. And some of these people are going to be obviously battle-hardened, they're going to be well-trained, um, and chances are that there's going to be people that, we, that are not on the intelligence radar. That makes them especially dangerous. And so you not only have the homegrown threat of, of people radicalized by ISIS, inspired by their messaging, who haven't been to travel to a, to a foreign battle zone. You also have people coming back that have. So the threats facing the West are, are multi-pronged. We had a time there for a couple of years, Robin, where ISIS was able to pull off some pretty spectacular attacks. And clearly, they had training camps, they had places where they were prepping people for this. Much of that's been taken away. And they were able to launch these attacks on what seemed like a schedule. Do you think they still have that capability now? Well, I think in, in certainly in, in uh, it, it, it depends region by region, really. I think in Europe, they um, a couple of the networks they had in Europe connected to Abdul Hamid Aboud, in Belgium and France certainly got either, well, they either carried out their attacks or there were some arrests, um, but you saw the attacks that took place in Paris in November 2015 and Brussels a few months afterwards um, that demonstrated that ISIS had a had infiltrated Europe and had teams there. Um, just because we haven't seen an attack like specifically those large cells in around a year, I don't think it really proves that ISIS don't have um, the 
capacity in Europe. I mean, it's it's very easy to believe that they are planning further attacks as as we speak, and we have um, no real reason, I don't think, to be confident that we have an idea um, of just how many operatives ISIS has in Europe. I think it's now is not the time to be complacent, and because there hasn't been a repeat of the Paris November 2015 attacks on that scale, I think they're on top of the problem. I think ISIS's bench generally is pretty deep, um, and they may be looking to refine their tactics or change the way they go about um, carrying out these plots, but there is certainly no doubt in my mind that ISIS has people willing to strike in Europe if our security services falter, if they get lucky, then you could be seeing uh, you could be seeing yet more deaths in Europe. ISIS efforts to spread terrorism throughout Europe have essentially pushed counterterrorism and police authorities to what may be very close to the maximum. They forced citizens and many of their leaders to think about terrorism as a fact of life as opposed to an exception. There have been numerous efforts between agencies to break down the stovepipes that caused many of the problems and led to terrorism in the past, but still it looks as though it could be a challenging few years, if not more, in Europe, considering the fact that many of ISIS's fighters are looking for a new home. That home might end up being their old home, and that is a problem. But that's not the only problem Europe, the U.S., and the rest of the world face. Coming up on our next program. Even during the darkest days of the uh, Cold War, the United States and the Soviet Union conducted a robust dialogue on nuclear weapons. Since uh, 2011, there has been no further dialogue on arms control, on nuclear weapons in general. And this is very troubling. And Dr. Robert Burroughs, Senior Advisor on Russia and Eurasia at the Nuclear Threat Initiative, is troubled because of the possibility of misunderstandings. Well, the worst case scenario, obviously, would be some type of, of detonation of uh, nuclear materials or radiological materials. And that is something, obviously, that we, we all uh, believe would be the most horrible scenario imaginable. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Hey, it's Jordan Harbinger. For the last 10 years, I've successfully helped people build their self-confidence with my Art of Charm podcast. And now, along with Art of Charm, I'm hosting a new show. It's Podcast One's latest program, The Forbes List. On the show, we talk to the Forbes editors that curate their famous and respected lists, like self-made richest people, billionaires, and highest-paid athletes. We'll get behind-the-scenes insight and information that doesn't make the print cut. So please subscribe on iTunes to the Forbes list, and don't forget to rate us, review, and share.